Alex Carell is one of over 70,000 Google Career Certificate graduates. The Google Career Certificate program completely changed the trajectory of my life. I've always been interested in computers, but I never thought I could turn this into a career. Anytime I got a little break, I just pop open the course on my phone. That allowed me to have that path into a career that I'm passionate about. Train online for in-demand jobs in IT, UX design, data analytics, project management, and more. Visit grow.google/certificates. How do you explain the unexplainable? That warmth that fills you up from the inside out. Does it come from the air, the sea, the sun, the people? Or is it something that can't be put into words? Because Aruba is more than a beautiful island. It's a feeling that brings out a happier, sunnier you. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your next visit at aruba.com. What's that? That really made my throat tickle. <laughs> was yeah, that was Mr. Hanky? It was Mr. Hanky. Yeah, I figured you <laughs> It's would. not Christmas, though. Right. It's all right. Yeah, close enough, I guess. Well, guys, welcome to the Unmatched the Hatch podcast, where we have discussions on fly fishing, honey, and the great outdoors with our hosts, Landon, Zach, Ian, and Cliff. You can find our website at honeyholeangling.com. Our email is honeyholeangling at gmail.com. And our YouTube channel, Facebook page, and Instagram can be found at honeyholeangling. Please leave us a review if you enjoy our podcast. And I haven't checked if we got any more reviews in the last week, but hopefully not 10. If you guys leave us a written review, you will be entered to win a prize pack valued. What's so funny? <laughs> that, that dog. That we, we've been here talking for 30 minutes and the second we push record, then there's, there's a dog. A dog. <laughs> oh. Well, of course. It, in my place at Cicadas, now we're in Cliff's Garage, his dog's barking. That's yeah, true. so we have a change of venue. We're doing it in my garage, and which has a little bit more room, so there's a little bit more echo. There's yeah. pros and cons to echo. Yeah. So there's no mosquitoes. No mosquitoes. no mosquitoes. I'll take that over here. We're trading a little bit of an echo for some mosquitoes. Right, so I mean, like, I can take an echo. And we're trading the Cicadas for that annoying yappy yeah. dog. <laughs> yeah, hopefully the yappy dog stops, though. Cicadas, you can't you can't go out there and yeah. Ian is saying the audio is cutting out. Ian, can you hear us? Ian, you there? Yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think it's close enough to Christmas, Tom. Yeah, you, we're getting there. I mean, Hallmark's already showing all their Christmas movies, wait, but it's Hallmark. No, Are they really? Yes. No. Okay. Wait. Hold up. What's y'all's favorite Hallmark series? I've actually We're never seen Hallmark. Uh, oh, yes, you have. Come on. I'm legit. Like, I'm not saying this. I do a lot Hobby of things. Hobby Lobby has their Christmas crap out. Yeah, but they keep it up since, like, June. Yeah. Um, I'm just set, saying. The end of sale from last year never there. ended up. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's <laughs> yeah, out right. there. They're like, six months that we didn't get a shop. Let's, you know, keep it going. Yeah. All year long. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, leave us a review, written review. We have a prize pack. We do have a prize pack. If you leave one, you have a chance to win. A one in ten chance. You never... Oh, never mind. We already discussed that off there. I was going to say, you never showed what the big surprise was at the end, but that was because it was shared from my account. 
from last week's podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I get that. Yeah. Where we got re... Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Right. Well, today we're going to talk about... I think our main topic is if we can get to that point this week, because yes. we didn't last week. I'll keep us on a time. Uh, is things to do in the fly fishing, fishing, hunting off season. Yeah. So we'll get right into questions. Yeah, we got 20 minutes of messing around time. All right, first question. Funniest way you've broken a rod or a piece of equipment? Oh, you're going to jinx us all right now. Uh, well, because I haven't. This isn't funny, but I shot three rods in my tailgate one time. At the at same one time, time. At one time. Yeah, that sucks. Also, is that when you oh. got the rod vault? Uh, that yeah, helps. Right. That helps. Um, it was before a fly fishing class, so it was like class rods. Oh, oh man! So at least they were your rods. Rod, but um, I did that guided trip with uh, Melanie. Oh yeah, where she broke. We brought two rods on the trip. It was a float trip. She brought both her rods, and I always make sure to have a backup. So we had her, it was just her, we had a backup. And she broke her first rod in like 20 minutes of the trip. The second rod broke an hour into the trip. So we're an hour into an eight-hour day. Both the rods on the boat are broken. The first one, um, her fly got cut, caught in a rapid as we were going down, and... <laughs> She swung her rod back, and the tip hit my oar. Like, so if you guys can, like, picture on the on the raft, I'm trying to, like, navigate, and she turns around to, like, break point and break off, and the tip smacks my oar. Oh, because she was in the front of the boat? Because she was in the front of the boat. Yeah. Total accident. The second one, she got a fly stuck in a tree, and um, I row over there, and she, like, kind of sets her rod down and goes up in the tree to untangle it or pull it out or whatever. And then I row away, and her rod is broken. And I don't think it touched anything. Just kind of broke? It just, I have no explanation. So what did you guys do? We had, what I did, it was a Orvis rod. She had an Orvis rod and a Sage rod. And one was a five weight and one was a six weight. <laughs> so I took, I think, I ended up taking the bottom three sections of the five weight. Mm-hmm. And then the, Tip on the five weight was broken. So I took the tip because a sage rod broke like lower on the rod. That's oh. the one that hit the oar. So I took the tip of the sage rod and attached it to the three pieces of the five weight orvis rod. So the tip was for a six weight, <laughs> and then the other three pieces were five. And like, so you know, the feral legs, the feral like connections about an inch. So like overlaps an inch. Well, that six weight went about four inches extra down the rod because that ferrule was so much bigger. And I casted it and it wasn't the nicest casting rod, but you get a fly out there. Right. So we fished it the rest of the day. Yeah. And then she caught a big bass at the end of the day on that. Oh yeah. That's great. Uh, Funniest one I've ever broken a rod. It wasn't funny to the other guy on the boat, but it's kind of funny to me, especially looking back, is when we were down in Belize, it was Sam and I fishing, and then we had our guide, and we were up in the national park, like in Mexico, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a shot at a snook, mm-hmm. so I cast it out, and uh, I got stuck in a tree, 
And when we went up to get it, it pushed into the rod a little bit. And then mm-hmm. when we came out, the rod tip was broken. Oh. And it was a rod that, like, Sam wanted to use. It was like an H3 when the H3s just came out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. Sam wanted to use it to also chase Snook. Nice. And I was the first one on the rod and broke it, like, right in front of him. It was pretty sad. Did, did he cry? No. <laughs> no. He probably, I would cry, he probably, dude. He probably grabbed the I would be so. Pelican. He was pretty, I would be. I would cry. He was pretty upset about it, but I mean, stuff like that happens. It's not yeah. like I did it on purpose. Rods, rods break. I mean, yeah, that's just that was a fun trip. Though. The funniest one for me. So like, I broke the one when me and you went on that float trip when I was rowing and we were going through like the real thin section of the river and it just snapped. But when we were kids, my dad just bought this old house that was like built in the eighteen hundreds, and. Um, my brother and I were like running around looking and I, I didn't break this, but I'm going to throw my brother under the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and we go <laughs> up into the attic and there is one of those old uh, wooden boxes. They're not like really expensive, but when soldiers were over in Japan and um, like Asia during World War II, they would buy these super cheap fly fishing kits, right? And they're like Tinkaras. Yeah, yeah, but kind of, but they're like uh, they're like a cane pole essentially. But it was like in a kit <laughs> that everyone bought one for their uh, for their kid, right? And so uh, my brother was like, "Oh, look at this!" And like he opened it up, and it's cool. It has like all these little flies, like for spots on it and stuff. And he grabs the tip of that of that rod and he just snaps the like the little tip off, and it's like fifty years old, and he's Aww. just like messing with it. I guess they're not worth much money, but it's still funny. Turns out it was worth. Half a million dollars. Oh, you just put a mountain hideaway sticker. Yep. On the right. table. Shout out. Mountain hideaway. Um, I actually I got a message. From Mountain Hideaway? No. Um there's a guy named uh Sammy who I worked with at Mountain Hideaway, and apparently he came by Orvis this past week. And Sammy's the guy that taught me how to tie flies. He's oh no like, way. he's like I don't know, he's he's older, he's probably in his eighties. But I remember going to his house and set me down and taught me how to tie flies so I cried a little bit whenever I wasn't there to when I wasn't there to see him because I got the new job so I thought you were going to say he was there to give a cease and assist from Mountain Hotaway for us using their name on the podcast too much mm. no no it's free advertising no dude they don't, they don't care. care all advertising is good advertising yeah Ian have you broken a rod yeah man a few times <laughs> a few times um, Ian's hard on gear <laughs> dude i am man mm-hmm. i crush gear uh i have broken four um one of them was three times but um <laughs> thank you warmest <laughs> um but repair yeah um two of them were on you know hooking rocks and jerking the rod uh a lot um <laughs> wait really what yeah, man. Dude, yeah, you are. I mean, yeah, if, gear. dude, if yeah. you whip, if if you hook, yeah, that happened. Yeah, the top barrel break. Um, one of them was in my truck door. Um, and another one, I can't remember. I think my some one of my friends broke the third one. Mm. Yeah, man, I am yeah. hard on gear. I, I will say, just so people know. As someone who's like helped people send a lot of rods off, um, 
some like tips to help you not break your rod, some like general good rules of thumb is that like watch out for doors, ceiling fans, tailgates. Ceiling fans is a hard one. Yeah, stuff like that. It's always accidental stuff. Like hanging lights in the store. So like yeah. Ian breaking it off while he's actually fishing is weird. Yeah, most most rod repairs are more like accidental situations, yeah. but rods are you know they're not built like conventional rods like super tough. There's not a such thing as like an ugly stick and a fly rod. Right. I know ugly stick makes a fly rod, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they're not like, you know, fly rods aren't indestructible, so you do have to be careful. Right. But the killer for fly rods is impact damage. So like I like a fly. So like you hitting your rod hard like on a table or a heavy fly hitting your rod. Right. It's like a rock hitting your windshield and creating a small crack and that crack expands over time. So a lot of people will be like, I would just cast my rod and it broke. More like, than likely like rod companies, whether it be Orvis, which most of us fish Orvis, um, whether it be TFO or Sage you know, they're testing their rods and like a rod that has zero impact damage usually just doesn't break unless it's fished inappropriately for a certain type of fish, unless you're like fishing like a five weight for a redfish. Um, more, more times than not, there's been some kind of impact to that rod and over time it's gotten worse and eventually just breaks. breaks. So like if you're fishing like heavy lead eye clousers and those lead eyes hit your rod on a cast. It might not break then, but it will break. Correct. It could break at some so point. So just just watch out for impact. That's the number the number one killer. I had sure. one break that way and I went out to fish in a tournament for work and I went out there the day before to practice and whatnot on mm-hmm. the front of a boat and I got up there and I started casting and the first thing as soon as I released like from my back cast out, mm-hmm. the tip goes, mm-hmm. and it was pretty disheartening. Yeah. yeah. So just watch out for impact. That's the number one thing. Just just be aware of it. And the more you're aware of it, the less likely that stuff is going to happen. Cool. Um, What's the, um, what is the next question? Next question. Um, so my, I worded the question. On Instagram, any questions or hot takes for tonight's podcast? Greg, if you guys remember Greg from our caving episode, Greg. said, I'm Who? taking, I'm taking <laughs> no, this I'm Sorry, Greg. as more of a hot take than a question. Greg said, no matter how many lasagnas you stack on top of each other, you still only have one lasagna. That's very true. And Dude, I think, I think I he's so, correct. Absolutely. I'll do this yeah, take. I, because I, lasagna is like... Stacked lasagna. <laughs> right. You just have a bigger lasagna. Right. Like, yeah. you, nobody asks you, like, there's no, like, right amount of layers for lasagna. Mm-hmm. You can have three. You could have 20. We should make a 20-layered lasagna. Yeah, that should be our next video. <laughs> Use deer meat instead of beef. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Gabe asks, squirmy worm, fly or not? Yeah, it's a fly. Yeah. It's technically a fly. Yeah, anything that's not real material... You can throw on a fly rod as a fly. Any, and I would say anything that's tied to a hook is a fly. That's my def- my personal definition right. of a fly is anything that you can attach to a hook with thread. Right. So like is a fly. Like if you put like a drop shot on a hook, that's not a fly. 
because there's no tying involved. You're just sticking a rubber thing onto. Mm-hmm. What a hook. if you took like a rubber fluke made by whoever and uh, tied it to a hook? If you tied it on there, if you tied it on, and I could throw it with a fly rod. Yeah, it's a fly. So yeah. Do you have a different one. definition? No. Some I'm people. Just, will, I'm, I'm just doing kind of like a hot, hot take, like playing devil's advocate mm-hmm. on it, because like. You can buy flukes for bass fishing all day long, and yeah. if you have a big enough hook, I guess you could tie it on. Hot, I mean, if you want to play devil's advocate, a lot of people will say that it has to have at least one natural material on it for it to be a fly. So, like, dubbing or feathers or hair, like, something that but comes from But a lot of the hair animal. that people use could be, like, synthetic. you can have synthetic bucktail. Yeah, but that stuff is tr- garbage. I'm just saying I'm it's just, still out there. I'm Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I guess that one's there. <laughs> That's our first. Wow. <laughs> While we are podcasting, we are also putting stickers, which I brought a ton of, onto our table. <laughs> and Cliff just dropped the sticker on top of another sticker. sticker accidentally, and it's stuck. It's it's there for good now. <laughs> yeah, so we have this table that we're using for like podcasting, and we're also using it as a like dove cleaning station, or just a general area like table to take out while we're hunting and stuff. So our idea is the table has become where I put all my stickers. Uh, Zach has dedicated or sent in a lot of stickers for it, or we're putting a lot of Zach stickers on it right now. Cause as you guys know, you're not a fly fisherman unless you have a bunch of stickers. Mm-hmm. I think that car. goes, I think that goes with like almost any outdoors bow hunting and fly fishing the most, I would say. And then probably other things mm-hmm. and like hiking, but our idea yeah. is to cover this table completely in stickers, and then I'm going to, like, shellac it or something, put a resin-type top over it so that everything stays on, and then it's just going to be a gear table or a cleaning table. We're hoping to get more and more, like, not to get graphic, but, like, stains from the outdoors or stains from... Stains from the outdoors? You mean blood, son? <laughs> you, mean, you mean blood on that table? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's what stains yeah. are. But I want it to be more tactful because we are ambassadors for the <laughs> hunting and fishing community. Yeah. But we were... we're well, to, that's over. <laughs> we're, we're wanting to get this, like, really good, like, covered in stickers, covered in a resin, and have it Good, be a nice set for it. Yeah, my, my vote is no resin. We just add layers of stickers. Just more. I just think the stickers. resin would make the sticker stay on because we've already had one sticker come off. What? What sticker came off? Uh, a supplemental company that my may or may not be in my cup right now. Gotcha. Mm. Okay. I mean, was it like a quality sticker? or Was it kind of a crappy sticker? I'd say normally they're If it came off, it wasn't meant to be. That's how I see yeah. it. Yeah, that's true. We're just not meant to talk about that. So what, where I was getting that. It rhymes with counting pops. Just think <laughs> about that. <laughs> um, so what I was getting at is if anyone has stickers that they want to donate to the table, send them in. To, you can DM us and someone will send you an address that you can send them to. And we'll get them on the table. <laughs> Um, so the next question, Paul sent it, sent two questions, but he sent one question. He has two Instagram accounts and sent one from each of his accounts, but I'm going to combine <laughs> them because they're related. <laughs> um, so Paul asks, is this hot fuzz? 
Killer Fuzz. Killer Fuzz. Paul, a.k.a. Oh, Killer Fuzz. Killer Fuzz. Fuzz. Fuzz is the other Instagram. So Paul asks, compound or traditional bow? Brand and arrow setup. Also, what draw weight do you shoot? Is this directed specifically to me or, or Landon? Or necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily. So for me, I guess I'll take it on because... What, because I don't shoot bows? Well, no, because that's a long question that we could actually make into an entire yeah, segment. Yeah, it is. So, it, actually, we could do a segment on that next week if we wanted to. Yeah. It, we'll do the quick answer. Yeah, quick answer, and then we can do a segment later. So, if you want to know my specific setup, I sued a Matthews VXR um, with a... Which is a compound. Which is a compound. I don't have anything against traditional bows. I just think bow hunting is hard enough without having to add that extra layer of something to it um you get more power behind it using a compound than you would a traditional bow with a lot less effort and so i just stick to compound for now my arrow setup is currently a gold tip hunter with in about a 300 and I think it's a 340 spine and I have 125 grain heads on it I shoot it with a three fletch helical in the boner boner sorry uh heat Okay, I'm sorry. I shoot the Bonner heat veins, <laughs> mm-hmm. three flexed with a right-handed helical is what I currently shoot. Mm-hmm. What was his other? Uh, draw draw weight. I'm currently sitting at right at 60 pounds. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I'm at right now, too. I think mine's at 62. No. No? They don't do I, like that, I don't think, do they? I think yours is at 55. Is it? Yeah. Is it? 45 to 55? Yeah, because okay. yours, yours would max out completely at 60, and I don't think, I think that it's there. I think he topped it out when I well, then you might Then you might be at 60, but I don't, I don't recommend shooting your max weight like that. Or just in general? Especially to begin, but also in general, because... It just causes way more fatigue. I would say if you're shooting, if your max weight is 60 pounds, you should probably be shooting about 55, 50. That way it helps with the fatigue. And you're just way more comfortable holding it back at that weight instead of letting it, like, fatigue you out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, whereas I'm shooting 60, I could probably pull back a 70 pound bow mm-hmm. but i don't want to not completely yeah it's it archery is a game of consistency right the better the more consistent you are in your draw process your shot process and all this other stuff the better you're going to be mm-hmm. yeah and you can be Point blank you can be just as lethal at 60 as you can at 70 yeah and i would say as long as you're shooting if you're using it for hunting purposes as long as you're shooting 45 pounds plus, I think you're in a, a good weight range. 
to take down most of anything. You think forty five plus? Yeah. Yeah. For like a Texas deer, yes. Okay. Yeah. I get that. Once you get up into elk and stuff, you're gonna have more you're gonna need issue. to be up there. Yes. But what do you think the um the poundage for elk would be? Like sixty plus? I wouldn't take an elk with anything less than sixty pounds. Yeah. Cool. All right, next question. That's it. Oh. But uh Paul was it? Mm-hmm. I think if, he shoots traditional. If, I think he does. I think traditional is a, a, a fun hobby. Don't get me wrong. I just, I'm not to that <laughs> level of wanting to use it for hunting purposes. Actual, yeah. It, my thing is, same thing hunting. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And shooting archery alone just opens your season up. Yes. There's not a specific, like, traditional archery season. I think you're playing, it's like Tinkara with fly fishing. Like, it's just another level of something to make it a little bit more difficult, mm-hmm. if you want to say it like that. But it's not, like, necessary. Yeah, I, I know uh, Hector shoots traditional, hunts traditional, and his limit's, like, 12 yards. Yeah. Oh, really? You, you just that have to get close. you just that have close. to get yeah. way closer with yeah, a traditional bow. 12 yards. If you can do it, I say more power to you. I'm not going to put my nose up at you or anything like that for it, but... It's that's just not where I'm at mm-hmm. right. on it. It makes sense. Um, but Paul, if you have like specific questions or something like that, you can reach out to me. I think you follow me on Instagram, and I'll I'll respond to you the best I can. I'm not by any means saying that I'm like some great profound archer or anything like that. You're I just not? no, not at all. But I know enough to, or I, I feel like I know enough to get it done and help people out yeah mm-hmm. for sure and i love talking about it oh yeah that's a good sticker too that big old one cool well that's all of our questions so i guess we can jump right into our segments sweet okay so who wants to go first today i'll go first okay here we go i feel like i bring a real joie de vivre to law enforcement for example uh my uniform, I do not wear the regulation uniform. I wear these uh, shorts here. And I actually had to lobby the sheriff's department to get permission to wear these. But my argument was, hey, I'm out there in the streets every day. I got to be able to move like a cheetah, like a law enforcement cheetah. Okay, so what I have today is um, I'm going to use this as an intro to like a mini segment I'm going to do on my segment. Very nice. Um Podcast within a podcast. Podcast within a podcast. So my topic today for On Patrol is what you need to know about national park deaths. And this is going to uh, a segment, a segue into um, cold cases at national parks, which I think like cold case files are super interesting. So, um, yeah. Just so you guys know, 318 million people visit America's 419 national parks um, systems every year. What's the most visited park? Uh, it's actually in here. I'll hit that. I don't want to like be scrolling through pages right now. No, you're good. So I'll I know, get there. I Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you're good. Um, I feel like I want to make a guess, though, before we get there. I want to say Yosemite or Yellowstone. I mean, I know the answer. Oh, do you? That's what I was asking. 
Did you guys, uh, do you want to make a guess then? Smoky, uh, Smoky Mountains National Park. Smoky Mountain National Park. Oh, really? You're saying Yosemite? Yes. Ian, do you have a guess? Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon. Okay. Ooh, we'll see. I forget about those. We'll, uh, we'll see what we get. Um, and I think it's just, you know, most people are going <laughs> to like bend. a... <laughs> right, middle of the way. You know, people are no, going... No, Big Bend is the least. Yeah, yeah. Go. people are going to like a really rugged environment and don't necessarily know the risks involved in a lot of cases, like people who traditionally don't spend time outdoors. And this article kind of hits on that. I'm not going to read the article. It's actually super long. But, um, you know, national parks are in extremely wild places and they can be uh, that ruggedness makes them appealing, but also unpredictable and dangerous. So, um know people get into situations that are um interesting let's see six people die a week in national parks a week a week no way yeah i would never have guessed that yeah six people a week um amounting to about 312 deaths per year that's almost almost one a day yeah really like i honestly i probably would have guessed six a year Oh, you think so? Yeah, that's what I would have guessed at six a year. Well, I would me, have said more than that, but I would have said less than six six a week. What um, do y'all think uh, is the number one cause of death in national parks? Falling? Dehydration. Uh, Ian, guess? Hypertension. <laughs> it's, the, it's America. It's America's it's America's man killer. Silent killer, it's a, man. It's the widowmaker. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the widowmaker. Sorry. Um, that's hilarious. So, the deadliest U.S. national parks, and this is from 2006 to 2016. Um, number one is Lake Mead National Recreation Area. That's the most deaths? It's most deaths. How many do they have here? 254. A year? Um, No, this is total from 2006 to 2016. I'm like, they need to shut that place down if it's killing that many people. Is that the the lake that's at the Hoover Dam? I actually have no idea, but what you guys... can Google it. No, I don't care that much. Yeah, we'll just guess. It's yeah, it's the one by Hoover Dam. Yeah, yeah. Um, yo, similar. No, I think that's Lake Powell. Ian, we're just guessing. What do you know? Uh, Lake Mead is right next to Vegas. Okay. I can kind of see that. Me too. Yeah, I yeah, mean, like people Vegas. are like in Vegas, like let's go have a good time at the lake now. Yeah. And then get like, like an Elvis wedding, and then. Good thing there's echoes since you don't have your headset on. We can all hear you. Yeah, we all. <laughs> they gamble. They no, win money. You. They go buy a boat, and, was, and then they go to the lake, and then they drown. It was crystal clear before. Was yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, it was. There's so much echo in here. <laughs> Look, it's a new garage. <laughs> We're still working the kinks out of it. We could be pressed Gideon. right next to a, a raft. Yeah. With, like, West Nile running through our van. Yeah, that's correct. So the second deadliest is Yosemite. Uh, third is Grand Canyon National Park. Okay. And fourth is Yellowstone. Okay. Dude, okay, hold on. One thing, uh, Cliff. Yes, it looks like Lake Mead is somehow connected to the Hoover Dam. Two, when I was in Arizona, dude, people would fall off the rim all the time. Every year, someone falls. Uh, off yeah. the rim? Yes. I've been once. How do you fall off the rim? Just not watching where you're going? 
It's not a straight shot. Usually people will fall like 60 feet, right? Or like bounce all the way down because it's like a mile or two down, right? So it's not, it's not like you fall like for 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. It's usually people falling like 50, 60 feet and landing on their neck or their head. But yeah, it used to happen all the time. Um, Great Smoky Mountains National Park is like eighth. Zach. I mean, like for the most visited. Yeah, and they also. What was the number one visited? We haven't got there yet. I just uh, know the answer. Is wait, Smoky. I'm pretty sure it's Smoky. I mean, the most like visited four states that like it goes in and out of. So yeah, North Carolina and Tennessee and Georgia. Um, they do say right, there's yeah, a correlation between visits and like the actual like number of deaths. Number of deaths on the list that I just mentioned. Uh, but also, um, like Smoky Mountain National Park is a very much like a drive-through park yeah like mm-hmm. everything is about like staying in your car driving through seeing a bear seeing an old church mm-hmm. you know like there's a don't get me wrong there's a ton of hiking but like when we were there this past summer it's a lot of people just like i'm gonna sit in my car yeah so here is the breakdown like kind of by park lake mead it most people die from drownings yosemite falling is the most common grand canyon uh, is falling. Yellowstone is burns and thermal energies from hot springs. From the springs, yeah, because they think they can get in them. Yeah. Um, Golden Gate National Recreation Area, beaches is drowning. Um, Denali National Park is mountaineering incidents. That makes sense, because, I mean, like, you don't really go there to do anything else but mountaineer. Yeah. Um, uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park, where steep forests and foothills pose falling risks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then it breaks down like across the board, not like taking into like specific park incidents. Yeah. It's just like these are the most common in order from like if you take all of the deaths. All from the National parks. Park. The number one. You're taking good? A photo. You're good. Okay. Um, the number one uh, cause of death in National Parks is car accidents. Really? Yeah. I would not have guessed that. <laughs> no, <laughs> none of y'all did. That's funny. Um, so it's not the number one in any park It's by itself, but it's the number, number one, one in, in total. total. That's yeah. funny. Because you got you to think it could happen it, uh, anywhere. Probably averages across all right. the parks that makes as sense. happening. Um, uh, number two is false. I was close. I had second. Yeah. And then... Um, number three is hypertension. Hypertension is not on there. Yeah, the silent killer. Oh, what happened? What happened? I'm missing That's okay. two pages. I mean, we still got like the gist of it all. Yeah, so it only, uh, my article had two more. Uh, I can't remember what the third one was, but, and they didn't print on my pages. It literally has like a little loading thing that printed. It's <laughs> so dumb. Um, I don't remember what number three was. That's okay. But the last one was actually like murders, cold case. And a lot of like cases don't get solved in national parks. So, uh, why? Just, I I think it's lack of resources. Like the bears hide the evidence? (laughs) The bears hide the evidence. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, I think it's like, you know, less resources and uh, jurisdiction is probably more of a large issue in parks. And I haven't like. I've kind of read over some interesting cases, but that's what it seems like. Understaffed. That makes sense. You know, when you have so many millions of people visiting national parks, 
do you have the resources to investigate like a single murder or are you just trying to like run a park? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that makes sense. So g- moving forward in the next couple of weeks, I'll have some cold, some specific cold, cold case, case files. And maybe if any of our listeners know what happened, we can provide some information. Right. And there have been podcasts that have actually solved cold cases because of the amount of listeners they have and people actually right. have like supplied information. The case of the missing picnic basket. That's right. The Smokey the Bear. Picnic basket. Hey, boo-boo. Hey, boo-boo. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, are you ready to rock and roll? Yeah, man. All right. Um, one second. That's pretty neat. <laughs> That's pretty neat. Okay. <laughs> this was posted on KXAN, which is a Austin, Texas uh, news station. And it's a video, but there's okay. an article too. And it's trout are airdropped in the mountain lake by an airplane in Colorado. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, knew this I didn't thing. know this. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know this was a thing. I've always seen them pumped out of trucks, but who knew they fell from the sky? No, that's um, crazy. So yeah. it, says De- it says Denver, uh, KDVR affiliate, fish falling from the sky. That's Colorado Parks and Wildlife pilot stalking mountain lakes with thousands of trout by dropping them out of an airplane. <laughs> so um, about 380,000 trout have been stalked into 330 lakes in Grand Jackson, Boulder, and Laramie counties. They interviewed a fish culturalist, a gentleman named Doug Sebring, who said, it's efficient. <laughs> we can get, I like how that's the first thing he says. Nice. We can get a large he's quantity waiting, of fish. He, he's been waiting his whole yeah. career to like say that line right. on an interview. Some may be like, why do you do this this way? It's efficient. <laughs> it's efficient. Shout out to Doug. He says, it's efficient. We can get a large quantity of fish in the high mountain lakes that are basically only accessible by foot or horseback. Um, <laughs> interview with CPW wildlife pilots Larry Getford and uh, Denise or Dennis Corcon fly the one and a quarter inch trout to the destination lake. Um, apparently, CPW officials said, "quote They just float on down once deployed from the airplane." At about 100 and 150 feet above the lake. Oh my gosh. So, so they just like airdrop. Did you guys know that they did this? Yeah. In Colorado? yeah. I, I, I did know that. And um, a lot of like guys that fish those like backcountry lakes that you have to like hike into. Um, you know, like when I was up in um, Wyoming, you know, I was asking the fly shop because there's like so many lakes you could fish. Be like, you know, they would know which ones have fish and which ones don't have fish because of, like, the historical, like, oh, you know, like, 10 years ago, they dropped fish from an airplane in that lake, so it's got fish, and they've never dropped fish into this lake, so it doesn't have any fish. So it was kind of, like, a known thing. of Like, they would keep up with what lakes fish have been, like, dropped into, and that's how they would know, like, which ones to fish. And, like, a lot of these lakes shouldn't have trout in them, period. Like, a lot of these backcountry like lakes that don't have like river systems connected to them just like a single like lake like there shouldn't be trout there other than the fact that like for the past 50 years they've been dropping trout in them well i always figured um have you guys i don't know if texas has this but have you ever seen helicopters pick up water like out of 
Yeah, to like drop on like the, the fires and stuff? Yeah, yeah, to drop on forest fires. That used to happen all the time in Arizona. And I I was in, they'll use them to like crane animals. So I figured that they like picked up buckets or, I mean, obviously we all know they stock them with trucks, but I guess it makes sense. That would be embarrassing if they've been doing this for like 50 years and I just found out. <laughs> no, they have been doing it for 50 years. Yeah. So it is embarrassing. Really? Yeah, it's embarrassing you. <laughs> they've been flying trout in a plane can you imagine just like Wah! did you see a video of it yeah there's a video it's pretty sweet yeah, yeah crazy. I, saw that same, I saw that same fishing article a backcountry lake no yeah, but I'm sure you, a lot of people imagine, don't know like, that oh yeah yeah no because you probably just think oh like it's the wild trout just yeah. live here forever yeah I, I read it in um, a book uh, an entirely <laughs> synthetic fish it's like basically how rainbow trout got distributed all across the U.S. That's cool. In the in like the early 1900s, and they they talk heavily about like how they dropped them off airplanes, and they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Cool. That's. Can you just imagine like World War II style payloads going off, like <laughs> right. people people fishing backcountry lakes, and like is that ra- nope? That's trout. That's not rain. I'm like, <laughs> sorry. What's the best okay. way to catch them then? Do you use a like a cast net and just a trampoline? A trampoline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just know they're going to stock that day. They put it on their website, and people are out there with just giant nets, right? Big old tarp. Yeah, Cliff. I don't know if that's forty. If you just get out there with a no, giant it's net, like, like it's all like, right, boys. Here they come, and the plane flies over. It's like it's like elementary PE where everyone grabs like the parachute, the parachute, and like you got to bounce the balls in it, right? And you get <laughs> oh, everyone yeah. all around the parachute, and you just like catch the trout. Well, inch and a half long trout. Yeah. No, no, these ones are big. They're thirty inch. They're they're trophy trout. <laughs> <laughs> trophy trout. No, the ones they drop from the airplane are like. Full size. I thought Ian said they're only like an inch and a half. Oh, were they Ian? Yeah, it said uh, one and a quarter. I uh, think. Yeah, Let I me think. Check. I think at a certain point, like a certain size, dropping them from that altitude would kill them. Yeah, once they hit the water, so they have mm-hmm. to be small enough for it not to create like the velocity or whatever. That's well, kill all them. things fall at the same speed. Yeah, but no, they don't fall at the same. <laughs> yeah, but not really. They don't fall at the same like mass in a vacuum. Like a, in a vacuum, they fall at the same speed. Zach's a teacher, so he would know. So explain this, Zach. So, well, as there, terminal velocity. Well, I yeah. know there's like wind resistance plays a factor, right? And so like, but like, play a factor. but like a, a feather falls a lot slower than a bowling ball, right? Yeah, but that's in a vacuum, wind, they fall the exact same. Nine point eight meters per second squared. Right, but these fish aren't falling from a vacuum. They're falling from a plane in the world. Yeah, but what would you call it? The the weight of the fish cr- that's created as the falling, the terminal terminal velocity. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, would be higher if it's a larger fish. They'd be falling no. at the same rate. Yeah, but its mass still comes into effect. Right, which I, I guess terminal, is terminal, so terminal velocity, velocity is the, is the speed, max. Right? max uh, achieved terminal velocity is the max achieved speed which is mostly from gravity okay right? so that's so not that's not the term i'm looking for i'm looking for okay like dropping a how, small fish will hit the water softer than a big fish yeah, right because its mass is less right. right which is what i was trying to get to. Yeah. yes that's one of newton's laws i don't remember which one this number maybe uh, 3.5 i don't know 2.5 number 17 mm-hmm. yeah i'll come back at you next week with <laughs> 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 
Um, cool. Cliff, are you ready? I is. All right, let's see. Oh, this is let's good. see if I know which one it is. Okay. Like Gary the No Trash Cougar says, give a lobbage, throw out your garbage. Spread the word. I think I pushed the wrong one. No, no, that's the right no, one. I think that's the right one. Okay. Yeah. Close right. conf- conservation corner. So, I do have to put a parental advisory upon Cliff's conservation corner this week. Okay. So, if you have small children. Not for language, though. Not for language. Okay. But if you have small children, you might want to, I don't know, it's up to you. It's not that bad. <laughs> but the parental. The, the, <laughs> it's kind of bad. The parental advisory involves the birds and the bees. Oh, okay. Okay. But mainly the birds. <laughs> Oh, I thought it's birds. Okay. It is a bird story. Okay. Um, so, I'm going to take you on a, a slight little journey. Bring me on it. <laughs> All right. It's called... I'm so glad I know what this Kakapo, is. Kakapo. However you want to pronounce it. I'm saying I'm going to say Kakapo. But it's K-A-K-A-P-O. It's how you spell this bird's name. Kakapo. Well, if it's Kakapo. <laughs> it could be. This man calls Kakapo. <laughs> <laughs> so, close your eyes and imagine you are on a trip to New Zealand. Okay. Catching trout. On yeah. a, on these tiny little islands just off the shore. Are we like day one? Because I feel like I'd be jet lagged. It, you're, it's probably like day two. Okay, so I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> day you, one's you, like you a breath day. camped out. <laughs> but... Well, well, all right. Open your eyes. First, okay. I want to know is how far would you go to save a species? Like, am I carrying what kind the species? Of species that or how far are you willing, Zach, willing to go to protect a species? I mean, how like, if I could left? really make a difference, like, I'd probably go the distance. You'd go the distance. <laughs> I'd go the distance. All right. All right. <laughs> like, I if I was like, these are the only two things a boy and a girl left alive, and if I carry them 500 miles or even more, they'll live, I probably would. Good thing is you don't have to carry them. There's a hundred of them okay. left in existence. Okay. It, well, that, that cuts back on my, like, how far I'd go. Because 100, I mean, that's... Now you're only carrying on, like, 250 <laughs> miles. Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty good chance that, like, some, some babies are making. Would you wear a helmet? What? Why? If I needed a helmet? I don't... I'm assuming I'm prepared in New you're Zealand. You're probably going to want a helmet. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll take a helmet. So, imagine a small... <laughs> Eight pound nocturnal flightless parrot. Okay. There's only a hundred in existence. They sound cute. Cockapoo. Okay. Cockapoo. 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 <laughs> it's a bird that is native to New Zealand. Okay. But it's been decimated and now it can only be found. Oh, it's been wiped out because of feral cats. Hey, oh, so man. your cat that you have, tiger over there or mittens. Been killing these birds off from day one. Uh, and now there's only a hundred of them found on four. I think it was four, but I wrote down a few small offshore islands. I would like to make a note. It does make sense that feral cats wipe them out because they can't fly. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Flightless bird. What, what can you makes do? total sense? And that's why the dodo died. So you're this. You're this eight pound nocturnal flightless bird. Right. Living on this secluded island off the shore of New Zealand. Yeah, I'm living happy. And you're like, you know what? 
I want a fine lady. Yeah, okay. Makes sense. So normally you're like displaying your stuff around the ladies and <laughs> yeah. whatnot. And Birds have your, dances. Strutting your feathers. Yeah, you're, you're just showing them off. You're wiggling that tail feather. <laughs> nope. This bird chooses to waddle up the side of a mountain, dig a little hole, and proceed to boom in it. Which, to my recollection, or the way I, I clicked the link, which had a sound bite to it, and it sounded a lot like drumming. Oh, wait, so, so booming the, is a sound? Yes. I thought you were like being cutesy and saying like boom, boom, like doing poop in hey, the boo, hole. boo, boo. <laughs> no, right. the, the, it, it sounds a lot like drumming. Like, yeah. not like... Yeah. Not like uh, on drums, but like if you've ever heard like a grouse drum or something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it sounded a lot like that to me. This is like a mating hole? Yes. For eight hours straight. So he waddled up this mountain, dug a little hole, starts to drum or boom in this hole for eight hours. And it creates a low frequency that can be heard up to five kilometers away. Really? Yes. Okay. And then the female has to go find the male. Nine miles up a hill? She has to waddle up the mountain and find... This male that's drumming into this hole. So they're not, not making it any easier to, no. to prolong their species. Yeah. No, not okay. at all. Bringing me to my next point, this method has clearly been super inefficient. <laughs> right. um, as there are only, like I said, 100 birds left. To help create genetic diversity, though, there's a conservation group for this species called... Uh, Kakapu Recovery, and they've started uh, raising captive breeding, or started a captive breeding program. Um, And fun fact, they noticed that much like in high school, some males were way more successful with the ladies than other males. And like in high school, the (laughs) success rate had to do with some males smelt better than the other ones. <laughs> I, I'm not making this up. So researchers from Massey University uh, started using a gas chromograph mass spec- spectrometer to analyze the feathers of the popular males in hopes that they could figure out why the these smells were more appealing, and they started actually creating a cockapoo perfume to spray on the less desirable males. <laughs> so you can put your polo blue on this cockapoo and hopefully get a get you a lady axe polo body blue. spray. <laughs> it would be axe. Let's be honest. Yes, really. Yeah. Was- um, and this was to help in the breeding process of these captive birds. Now this is where the story gets wild. This is where the parental advisory comes in. Yes. There is one hand-raised cockapoo bird that he's wild, but he's been hand-raised. So he wasn't a captive bred. Like, they got him out in the wild, but then they've, like, raised him in Mm -hmm. the breeding program. And his name was, like, Strategios. Sturgio, something like that. I remember it starting with an S. Um, But he has developed a love interest in attempting and started attempting to breed with the researchers' heads. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, so that's why you have to wear a helmet. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so this bird has not taken interest in any of the ladies, like lady birds. Right. He wants to mess around with the back of your head. Oh my gosh. Um Dude, we need like some Marvin Gaye clips to play. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So making of the best making the best of the situation, the Cockapoo Recovery staff created a special helmet that lets the Cockapoo live out his wild preferences while collecting the good stuff for oh artificial God. breeding. So they're they're milking the cockapoos with the back of their head. Oh my god. Dude, that's disgusting. <laughs> oh my but, god. but wait. There's more. There's more. <laughs> this cockapoo uh-huh. doesn't like the helmets. He oh. he prefers the whole, the, all the natural. Hair. The hair. So the helmet has it. the helmet has not been working. He's still going after people without the helmet. So they're strapping like the collection stuff just straight to their head. I, they've put the cockpoo in a behavioral program. <laughs> <laughs> it really says they ha- they have since because the helmet wasn't working. Um, he preferred helmet free heads <laughs> and is now receiving behavioral. I'm, I'm quoting this. He is now receiving behavioral training to teach him to redirect his urges towards a stuffed owl puppet. That's great. That's how they're using it now. That's so great. (laughs) So So how far would you be willing to go, Zach? I guess I'd wear a helmet. Or not. I don't know. But again, there's a hundred of them. I mean, like, realistically, they're trying, you know. I mean, but they're... It's like, unless they solve the cat issue... Yeah. Right. How like, effective is it going to be? Yeah, exactly. Right. Because even if they made a boom in population, they released them back out. But maybe on these islands, they don't have like. They, it's, it's zero predators for them. Okay. On okay, these four islands. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. But so as, they, as long as they can keep the populations there, then. Right. Yeah. But that, I read that today and it's crazy. And there is a video with Stephen Fry. If you know who Stephen Fry is, he's like a documentary research scientist. Yeah, B- yeah, BBC. Yes. He has a video where he's there with the research team. And is he wearing the helmet? No, but the bird goes all over <laughs> the researchers back of the head. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> And the, the researcher's like, oh, what's he, or, or Stephen Fry goes, oh, is this like some sort of like asserting dominance or is this like a breeding ritual? And they were like, yep, it's something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. Thanks, Cliff. You're welcome. All right, you guys ready for Creature Watch? Yes. All right, guys, Creature Watch this week. I'm bringing you the Honey Island Swamp Monster. All right. Okay. So, he is known to be found in Louisiana. And not just he. There's a bunch of them mm-hmm. um, in Louisiana. This sounds like a Scooby-Doo character. Yeah, I know. It kind of looks like a Scooby-Doo character. Okay. Yep. Um, oh, yep. It's definitely that. Um, there. What year would you guys guess that it was first found? 
You were like weirdly close, and I'll tell you why. I'm going to say 1936 then. He's weirdly close. <laughs> no, no, no. 1932. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what do you think? Uh, 47. 47. Mm, okay. There you go. 1963. Okay. He's at 36. Oh, oh. Yeah. Um, so the first signing was in 1963 by two hunters, Harlan Ford and Billy Mills. Um, side note, I kind of wish his name was Billy <laughs> Millie because that'd be great. Mm, uh, so they were oh, oh that's right yeah so they were searching for an abandoned uh like house they had found when they were flying over the swamp in their plane and they found some weird three-toed webbed footprints that they followed into a clearing right so like searching through these woods, like being like, well, we're looking for this house, but let's, let's follow these footprints, right? Because they're huge too. Mm-hmm. Like they're like twice the size of like a person's foot. And when they get there into this clearing, they see this creature standing before them, right? And Ford says it was nothing like he's ever seen before. It was ugly and sinister and looked like something from a horror movie. So they like leave and they find the the house the cabin they were looking for and nine years later they returned to hunt ducks right they found two pigs with their throats ripped out by this monster and said they saw the exact same footprints around it and like leading around right mm-hmm. so they said they seen it a couple times throughout the years and that sort of thing there's another man named ted williams who had said he had seen the creature many times and he could have killed it but he didn't because they did not seem to want to kill him. Um, the next time he went out to set a trout line, he was never seen again. Interesting. Right? So Body never found or anything. Never found. They don't know what happened to him. Hmm. Ted Williams died. Aw, he's a good man. Yeah, he, um, he just died. Uh, so, how do you guys think the seven and a half foot tall creature came to be? He's seven and a half foot tall, four to five hundred pounds. He is covered in hair. He's also known as the Louisiana Wookie. Mm. He has a big furry coat. He has bright yellow eyes like a lizard. And uh, he's known to have an awful stench that you could smell for a mile away. Sounds like Bigfoot and a gator. I've heard of like swamp monsters and swamp monkeys and stuff before i mean it's a pretty are you common, talking about like skunk apes yes they're pretty common throughout like the southeast yeah not like common as in like you see them but like the story is common right. <laughs> yeah um, no the story definitely um, but you asked how does how do you think he came about i think he's just some kid lost in the, the swamp just for 60 years is lost in the swamp yeah his mama and daddy dropped him off is he still a kid, or do you think he grew up? No, he grew up. Okay. I mean, he's a 60-year-old man aged. now. <laughs> he's a 60-year-old man now. But I think he just grew up in the backwoods of Louisiana, eating gator and crawfish. He's getting old. and His bottle was a uh, Louisiana hot sauce That's right. container. He lived in that cabin they were looking for. Mm-hmm. No, so there's three separate ideas that people have of how this thing came to be. Are there any grainy, crappy pictures? So I'm going to get there. Oh, okay. Um, so, so most people, or some people think that he was a social experiment gone wrong. I don't know why social experiment, 
but he was an experiment gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Some people believe he's a Bigfoot who evolved to live in the swamp, which is why he has the webbed feet now. Mm. But most people seem to believe that in the 1930s, when there was a traveling circus around the, the nation, a circus train crashed in the honey swamp, and a herd of monkeys escaped, and they found a herd of alligators, and they made alligator monkey babies. Now, that doesn't line up. This is what most people think. I don't know what to tell you. They've well, done the research. they're from Louisiana. They don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> from Louisiana no, are small. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't. You can't. Those, are, those are like strong words Hot from a take. kid from... Georgia. <laughs> I'm just saying, you can't crossbreed a monkey with an alligator. Well, the genetics you, don't work that way. I mean, maybe you've never seen something that could be, but maybe there is. Last time I checked, you went to biz, you went to college for like business or something. It's yeah, true, but not I like remember, genetic engineering. I remember studying biology in high school where they were like, you can't mix like certain type of genomes and stuff. Like genes just don't work that way like you can't crossbreed a cat and a dog it would be weird though to there think. was a tv show called cat dog that's true yeah but that's a nickelodeon tv <laughs> show that's not real well and, i'm using as evidence and just like as a side note where did it poop where did the poop go i don't know in a bag in a bag somewhere leave no trace <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no i don't know but what would a monkey look like in an egg anyways it'd be real weird yeah, see, that's another thing that I have an issue with. Like, one's a reptile, the other's a primate mammal. It it just doesn't work. Yeah, I don't know. Now, do I think a monkey could make its way with an alligator? Yes. But I don't think anything would come from it. Yeah, there probably would not be any monkey alligator babies. But maybe. I don't know. Again, I'm not the researcher. I have, I have never been to the Honey Island. Have you? No. Yeah, monkeys have been to the Honey Island. So, hmm. is there um, like a radiation, and like any weird radiation stuff going on there, like Ninja Turtle style, or I don't know, but that swamp can't be clean. Yeah. So, I feel like government experiment would be a that's gone wrong would be a logical theory behind it. Logical. I think you're going with logical. I think yeah, for the conspiracy government theory. <laughs> okay. I think that. Same thing with a your... A crashed... I think a crashed <laughs> circus train... Right. ...with escaped monkeys somehow making evolving babies. in the swamp would be a theory, but not making babies with alligators. So you, okay, so I get that. Like, monkeys evolving the, from the, the dirty swamp is more Believable than making babies with an alligator. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's where I fall off on this train. Yeah. Is the, the monkey alligator baby? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is but what it is, puppy, I guess. It's pu- science. Puppy so. Monkey Baby was real from the beer commercial, the Bud Light commercial from like four Super Bowls ago. Yeah. Did you guys ever see the baby monkey riding on a pig? Oh, that's such a great video. It's so cute. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, my God. It is a watcher. Um, so, anyways, people <laughs> claim to see them every now and then. Uh, but there is not a blurry photo that can reveal the creature watch. Is that because they don't have cameras? In Louisiana? I think they have cameras in Louisiana. I didn't say that. (laughs) You did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't know. 
I don't know why they don't have a blurry photo. You would think that people will see them all the time. I love Louisiana. I just want to state that. Like, I have no ill feels for Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's a great state. Yeah, they I'm have sure. some of the best food. And they have so many things Bro, that for the nation. you just said that's because it's Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, but we're we're just having a good time. I don't want them to get their feelings hurt. Cliff's trying and to think cr- that I'm I'm backtracking a little bit. Yeah, he's yeah. trying to crawl out the hole, and Ian's just throwing him right back in it. Mm, he's up there <laughs> pushing. <laughs> <laughs> the state of Louisiana has banned the Honey Hole Angling podcast. Oh, <laughs> it's a state that I love traveling to, driving through, being in. <laughs> Not not just driving. I love driving through. <laughs> I don't like to stop, mm. but I love to, I love to drive through. <laughs> Put down the shovel cliff. <laughs> I, I like Louisiana. I think it's a gold mine for natural resources, huh? and it's a great state. Yeah, I love the food. The people there the food is very are good. very friendly, very yes. nice. Yep. I haven't had an issue with them. No, besides in college football, but that's a different subject. Totally different. What's your least favorite state, Cliff? In the southeast? No, just anywhere. Ooh. No, anywhere. I'd say Delaware. <laughs> yeah, let's pick a state that people forget about. Mine is Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't oh, think Connecticut's I have, state. like... Yeah, we forgot about it. I'm going to go with, like, North Dakota. No one lives there. There you go. Yeah. Population, yeah, like, seven got, people. Like, good hunting and stuff up there. No, South Dakota, everyone's, like, all on the South Dakota hunting. But North Dakota, it's the cold. That's right. Yeah. I, I don't think that I really have a least favorite state. I have states that I like less due to different reasons. But we have to define those reasons for me to say, yeah, I don't like that state for that reason because there's there's states that i don't like for personal reasons but i love for their natural beauty and family lives there and i love to go visit but it's not a state i live in there you go Mm -hmm. i like it it's a good safe answer yes and i think we all know what you're talking about I do. That's right, Delaware. Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that much about Delaware, honestly. No, I don't know either. Like, not a history teacher. I'd never go to New Jersey, probably. Really? Yeah, I'd probably say New Jersey's probably my least favorite. Yeah, Atlantic City. Dude, all, all I know America about New Jersey, New Jersey is the Jersey Shore, and that alone is a reason I would never very true st- yeah. step foot there. But you say Jersey, like Atlantic City, what is it? But like a more ran down Vegas. I mean, I'd go to Vegas before I go to Atlantic City. Oh yeah, for sure. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey. The Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. From now through June on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through the pain is the name of the game. With so much edge-of-your-seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your jersey. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs now on TNT and TBS.
How do you explain the unexplainable? That warmth that fills you up from the inside out? Does it come from the air, the sea, the sun, the people? Or is it something that can't be put into words? Because Aruba is more than a beautiful island. It's a feeling that brings out a happier, sunnier you. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your next visit at aruba.com. Oh, cool. So, what is our main topic for the evening? Things to do in the off-season of hunting and fishing. Which is kind of interesting because... Nice thing about living in Texas is there's like hardly an off season. Yeah. So it's not like we're living up. So in what like, do you do in August? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say really, it's like two weeks in August where it's like too hot to really fit. I mean, you can, but it's just like you're not as successful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like we live in like Montana and we have like three great months of three to four great months of fishing, and then we move into hunting season, and then it's cold and there's nothing to do for four right. months for like four or five months where you can just like tie flies and like sit by the fire yeah and then sit and by the fire have some kids. so for what you say in i said have some kids, right. <laughs> some kids. everyone right. i know in montana has like six kids and i get it i mean come yeah. on like monkey alligators yeah. mm-hmm. or kickapoo birds kakapu kakapu if you know how to pronounce those that, winters please are write cold it down. and long. It's better to start a family early. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, what do you guys do for the two weeks in August? <laughs> <laughs> Sit by the AC. <laughs> <laughs> I would say. So, I think the way to approach this is like, we do have an off season. We do. Let's be honest, like. My season, my game season, is more of hunting. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, right now is the time where I'm going out, like, every weekend and doing something. Mm-hmm. Versus during, like, the summer months and late spring and all that. Although those are good fishing times, that's still technically my off season. Like, I'm not going every weekend. I'm not, like, hard knows like go 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 on it knows the grindstone right so i would say like fishing season is more of my off season relaxing and what i do during that time is i'll go fish i'll piddle around i tinker with my bow i sight in rifles make sure that they're good i clean make sure all my gear from hunting seasons cleaned by then like deep cleaned and like put away nicely where I can find it. Um, I'll start stocking up on ammo because it's easier to buy it the in end of small, the smaller inc- increments uh, starting sooner and just hoarding it a little bit versus trying to go out and buy three or four cases of ammunition at the start of dove season mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Just because that A gets costly. Think about it. A case of shot shell, not a box, a full case, is roughly about anywhere from 60 to $100 plus. So I can buy a box here and there 
for like 20 bucks. And then depending on what I'm buying, my dove loads aren't 20 bucks. Right. But like pheasant loads are mm-hmm. or duck loads, they can be pricey. So you start getting all that ammunition outside of the season. So when season comes up, you're not rushing to Academy, Bass Pro, a gun shop or something to buy three cases of ammo because you know, A, I'm going however many times this mm-hmm. year. Yeah. And there's and, not a pandemic you have to worry about too because right now ammo right, is this year's been this, this year's been extremely like just weird. But yeah. like I've had enough ammo to go out and do the things that I want to do thus far without having to worry about it. And I've had to worry about going to get ammo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I've run out like, oh, I'm going definitely tomorrow. I need to go buy some shells. Oh, really? And I've been been? able to, I've I've gotten them every time. Yeah, I feel like um, shotgun shells are a little bit easier. It's the handgun ammo and the rifle ammo to an extent Mm -hmm. that's harder to find. I'd say your your self-defense ammo is the ones that are truly just hard to find. People aren't using dev loads to like defend their home. That's true. But I will say. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry when it stops somebody. I will say that it's been hard to find the loads like the size that I actually want. For Dove? Yes. What what size do you shoot for Dove? I'd rather have a six shot instead of a seven and a half. Really? Hey. Yes. How come you feel like it just has more stopping power? Or you can it's bring just it down? slightly. The BBs are just ever so slightly heavier. Like just enough to make a little bit of a difference? Yes. Mm-hmm. And Wait, Cliff, do you shoot two and three quarters? Or are you shooting three inch? I'm shooting, for Dove, it's two and three quarters. For Duck, it's three inch. Yeah. So what, what's the... I mean, I know that's not part of our topic right now, but the three inch. What do you gain with that? It's Distance. more powder. More powder. More, okay. More power. Powder. Powder. Which yeah. translates to power. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. More velocity coming out of it. Um. You can also typically get a little bit heavier of a shot in it. So a lot of like duck shots and stuff like that will be like two, three, and four. Right. Versus Dove is seven, seven. and a quarter yeah. or seven and a half to eight mm-hmm. in size. The BBs, the shot in it is a lot smaller. In Dove, it's a lot smaller. In Duck, it's a little bit bigger. Little bigger. Yeah, that makes sense. And in Buckshot, it's way bigger. Buckshot, not a slug. Slug yeah. is just a, a yeah, slug. Yeah, it's a big guy. Buckshot has like four, four or five mm-hmm. big old balls. Um, Ian, what about you? What do you do in the off season? Or what? What first off? What do you consider your off season for hunting and fishing? Yeah, just throughout the year. Like, what's the time you know it's going to be slow? You know, man, um, that's a good question. Um, I would actually say that February or March is slower for me. Yeah, as weird as that sounds, because. When it heats up and when it's warm in Texas, I'll usually, I can usually get out bass fishing. So if it'll be above 80 degrees, um, I would say March is slow, man, because the fall is typically dove hunting. Uh, the winter is typically trout fishing in Texas because that's when they stock them. Right. So late November, December, January, February, March is kind of nothing going on because it's like, the bass aren't really waking up yet. The trout fishing's slowing down, at least for me. Um, I don't know if, you know, 
Um, no, that's, and then, I would say pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I I, I definitely yeah. agree that it's like, you know, like the hunting is kind of winding down for the day and like the trout excitement has kind of worn off because like for us, like it's the, gone, the, yeah. for you and for us too, like in San Antonio, like the trout is easily accessible, but also like it's an hour and a half drive to get out there. So it's not something that you do every, like every single day yeah, or every, you know, or sorry, man. Or so every I'm weekend. usually right. You know, it's just it's hard to do it. So like by like the excitement wears off by February, March, and you kind of like there's not you kind of like it's too early to bass fish, but it's too I don't know too late to go yeah. trout. And plus, it's like you have these days where it's like the trout water is above seventy, so you're not really supposed to fish for them. But the bass water is still not warm enough that they're really moving. So it's I'd like, say I'm doing good if I get four trout a year. Or like four trout fishing sessions in oh, a year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's that's kind of what I shoot for. I feel like at that point I get my money's worth too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm usually looking at gear. I'm a big reader, man. So I love to like read books about like species I would want to chase. But honestly, cleaning gear, yeah. like Cliff said. Reorganizing um, your garage, uh, getting things ready. Reorganizing my garage. If I have broken rods, I'm sending them in for repair. Yeah. Last two years, I did it in March. So re- sending stuff in for repair, work, you know, starting planning out what gear I'm going to need. Um, you know what I've I haven't done yet? Or, go ahead. I was yeah. saying, you know what I haven't done yet, but I want to this next off season is um, Benchmade has that program where you can send in your knife and they take it apart clean it and resharpen it and i have my hunting edition knife whatever and i feel like this Ooh, next nice. off season i'm going to send it in because i've i've put it through probably two or three seasons and um, i mean like i do like my own little sharpening but not probably what they can do mm-hmm. so i might do that this next that's a great season. idea yeah what's the charge on that uh, i think it's free outside of just your shipping yeah Oh, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll tune up your knife for mm. free. You just got to shit. Now, they don't really like fix anything necessarily, but they'll take it all apart. They clean it. They re-oil it and everything. No, they'll fix it. I had a oh, really? friend who had... Uh, yeah, I've sent mine in for repair. I've had a friend who actually... His was more of like the EDC military style knife because he got his... This one while he was in the Marine Corps... And he was shooting at some trees in Georgia, you know, trying to just chop them down like people in Georgia do. (laughs) And he had something stuck in the tree and he was trying to pry it out and he was using his knife and it broke off the tip. And it was like a standard drop point tip. So it had just had like that flat edge then at the end. Yeah. So he sent it in and they reshaped the blade. Like made it, you know, a fraction of an inch shorter Mm -hmm. by just re... Nice. Yeah, I mean they're a good company. I know that they take care of their stuff, and they'll take care of mm-hmm. you too. So shout out to Benchmade. Yeah. They also the they podcast. also that would be so awesome. They also take care of their retailers, which is um like Benchmade. It's hard to find deals on Benchmade, right? Because they price protect their products, so that way wherever store you go to, we'll have the same price. We'll have the same price. So like your smaller shops, like Mountain Hideaway, was a Benchmade dealer. You go to Mountain Hideaway and you're going to buy the knife for the same price that you're going to buy it at Bass Pro Shop or Cabela's or right. Academy or whatever. So they protect their smaller shops by they doing also, that. Uh, if you, I don't know if it was like a start of COVID, but this is when I found it. Was that the start of COVID? I was buying a uh, 
a new meat knife used for butchering. I was going to ask you if you how much you like that knife. I like it a lot. I get a lot of crap for it, but it. Who gives you crap? Just people. Because it's like it's not it really was, that much. It was, an, it, it was an expensive knife. It, what is. it is because you can buy a comparable knife for twenty, thirty bucks. You think that? that yeah, much of a difference. they they make they make some cheap ones same that are steel that are good. and everything though. It's not the same steel, and it's a completely plastic handle. Mm, Whereas this one has a good weight to the handle. It has a really good flex in it. So you can really get in there and like follow the curvature of bones and stuff like that. And true, I could actually use it as a true fillet knife as well. Right. Mm -hmm. I I love the knife. I love using it. Um, But it is just like I use it as like a prepping or a butchering knife, not a skinning knife. Mm-hmm. But a true butchering knife. So once you've already skinned, then you'll go into the the butchering process that, with that mm-hmm. knife. Gotcha. Is it pretty heavy, Cliff? Uh, it has a good weight to it, but I wouldn't say that it's heavy. Like what? I could carry it around, yeah. and you, it's not going to be. This is a weird question, but do you have it with you? It's in the kitchen. I mean, we're at my apartment, so of course say, it's somewhere. Can here. we see it at some point tonight? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, it's a good. It's a good knife. I've gotten some crap for it mainly because of the names associated with it people are like oh you just bought it because such and such did it or da 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 and really the reason why i bought it was because it seemed like a good knife i was in the market for a knife like that and i absolutely love well bench it's a bench made knife it's, that's the thing it's still and, a quality knife and even the, the, with the name the other name on it like that doesn't change anything you might have paid a slight premium because of that but had bench made just made that knife it still would have been a i would have paid i would have paid the same price for it maybe, without the other name maybe 20 40 less but outside of that mm-hmm. it's still a good quality knife it's not like somebody just slapped their name on a and crap product that you know? knife is also sold out right like can't buy it right and uh, it's been popular was, I would be willing to bet that I was one of the first people in the, besides like the people who developed it, bench made employees and stuff like that. I was probably one of, cause I bought it the opening day mm-hmm. that it came out. I was like, I'm getting it. Cause I had already seen like the mock-ups and everything like that. I had been waiting on this knife. I had mm-hmm. known about it. Right, because they had given some um, hints about it. Yeah, because it's the first one. Uh, I was talking to a Benchmade rep at Good Sport. They came in, and Benchmade, they were doing an event with Benchmade where you could get all your knives, like, engraved. So I took all my Benchmade knives in, and I got what they were used for engraved on them, or if they were, like, my EDC, I got my initials with the State of Georgia outline on it. Because those are like, I, that's I, the um, that's the the pressure the slip. Sorry, uh, slip. That's the joint? proper. Okay. Um, I I like the knife a lot. I love Texas, but I don't want to forget like where I'm from. So wait, what? So How does this I got you where you're from. It's got I got the Georgia, Georgia outline. outline on it, and it's something that I honestly oh, I honestly yeah. think like all my bench made knives can be passed down. And they will be passed down. Yeah. Wait, because they're quality. Like, you know that this thing, as long as you don't lose it, you can keep this thing mm-hmm. for... Right. 
And uh, so I wanted, like, I plan on staying in Texas for as long as I can. And if I'm lucky, I would get to die and be buried in Texas. But I want, like, the generations after me, my family, to know where we came from. Mm -hmm. And so I want my, like, firstborn and all that to, like, when he's of age... I want to give him that knife, and I'll say it has your initials in it because we follow, I have a family name, and so he'll have his family name in it too. You know you're going to have all girls, right? Don't jinx me. (laughs) And then the state of Georgia, Mm -hmm. which is where we're from. And like on my utility knives from Benchmade, I have uh, skin, butcher, cut and stuff like that or survive written on the blade in about the same area just underneath the butterfly and just to kind of say what they're for but like this one's definitely going to my first son well the the those kind of knives like that's the kind i carry what's your number you're gonna stop at like let's say girl 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 like how many times are you going to attempt it? All right, so my, my max number of children that I'd ever have is three. Why three? Because I have a brother and a sister. And you just feel three is good? I feel like three is a good number. Mm-hmm. I think above that it starts getting, like, way too much into, like, the kids' favor, way more costly and stuff like that. But I've always said, like, I'll have three as well, my total number. You'll have three. You'll have two, and then your third attempt will be triplets. Oh yeah, that, jinx like that. Yeah. yeah. Then that, Dude, you gotta you gotta have two, right? Because the kids have to have someone to play with. Then that's like, in God's plan at that point. <laughs> but the the max number that I'll actually have in my mind is three. Mm-hmm. And I would do two the old fashioned way. And on the third one I'd be willing to do like test tube, like make sure it's a boy. Really? What? Yeah. That's like a hot take. Take. if I have if I have two girls like first and second are girls my third one I'll do like you want a boy that bad yes but then what will you stop though I mean like you could you know just pick all the genes no I would just I would limit myself like only a boy like I don't care hair color I don't I don't want to do the designer baby thing yeah I just say Find one with a X chromosome yeah. and put it in there. Put it where it needs to be. <laughs> wow. You're the first person I think I've ever heard say that. You're right. Like, well, when you I have think this things- podcast has a lot of procreation on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you have, like, so I'm the fourth in my family. Also, I just want to clear clarify in case anybody's going to message us. It is XY is a boy. Right. Right. But which one's the male chromosome? Why? Why? XX is just girl. Girl. All right. Yeah. So I would make them pull Y chromosome cells from however they get that from me and place it inside my wife. It's a helmet. It's a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Cliff just walks to room and it's the helmet. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> Dang it, Bobby! Well, we got off on a on like way off track there. Yeah. Is it 
Has everyone else shared their off season? Yeah, pretty much. I haven't. So, okay, yeah, you got five minutes. I c- not even. You got like two and a half, and we had to spend two and a half wrapping up. Yeah. So, so why don't you start by telling us what do you consider the off season? We could probably take out that last ten minutes. No, it's good. It's, it's good. It's good. Take so, out. Take out my name. Okay. Really? I take out that. Yeah, I don't want my real name on there. Okay. Now I feel like we have to take it out because that was a ramble in itself. Um, so what do you consider to be your off-season in Texas? Like f- fishing-wise? Anything. Just like uh, what, yeah, when's the time of year that you just don't do anything? August. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do like fishing in the winter. I like fishing in the cold. So, yeah, me too. Um, I do fish a lot in the winter. I'm in a, you know, I've in the past couple, like I grew up hunting a lot more. In the past couple years, I've been fishing a lot more. This year, I'm going to hunt a lot more when available. But, you know, the, the trout season on the Guad 2 goes well into, like, March. It's like you could hunt out deer season and then just do trout fishing and still have a couple of months. Yeah. But even uh, if we're talking when, when you were out, um, we considered even, like, February part of our dead season as well. Because by that time, like, I don't know. I don't know if you get burnt out on the Guad for trout fishing. Oh, yeah. But by that time, I do. And, like, it's too... And it's almost too hot for trout most days. It's too cold for bass. There's not really any. Well, I actually like to fish later for trout. Like Assuming the, the water day? temperature. No, no, later in the season. Uh-huh. Assuming the water temperatures are good because um, I'm not going to fish for them if the water temperature is too hot. Right. But less people go later in the season. Yep. And it, the fishing starts to get really hard. And so when people, people stop less. catching fish, they stop going. Yeah. And I feel pretty confident about being able to go out and catch fish even when it's hard. Right. So I'll go out, and I'd rather fish when it's hard and there's no one out there than... When it's easy and everyone when, and the brothers out yeah, there. Yeah, when it's easy and everyone's out there. Like the day they stalk, like the first week after they stalk, that's where oh, yeah. everyone goes. And it's, you just throw like a red squirmy worm or like a mop fly, and you can just... Rip, rip lips all day. Yeah. So you just get a squirmy, wormy with the egg pattern. Yeah, I, that'll do the job. You know, we're pre-hunting season right now, and it's been kind of hot, so I haven't been doing a lot of fishing. My thing right now, so I consider this kind of like an off season right now. My goal is to like I bought Cliff's old bow. My goal is to get it sided in because I put a new side on it. To get in before season. Bow. Yeah, yeah. I like this time of year though because it's kind of fun because like you can still do a little bit of like bass and panfish. But there's a lot of dove too, mm-hmm. and I go out dove hunting probably three or four times. Yeah, I've dove hunted. Three I've times. been really slow three times this, this year. year in like starting, but I'm I have that itch to go. But COVID's kind of, I mean, my main hunting partner for dove was Ian, and he's up in Austin, and COVID makes it hard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah. so we're not going out. We can't plan to go out all that much. Um. Dubs Dude, we the, can go out. I'm just like not staying indoors pretty much the, with other uh, people. Yeah, the dove, that makes sense. It's just been uh I kind of lost my train. Well, of it's thought. okay. Well, let me yeah. finish my off season. Um I also tie a lot of flies, so like when fishing slow, uh, I do tie flies a lot and like always checking gear like Cliff said. One thing, one tip I'm going to steal from Cliff is like buying ammo like throughout the year more as opposed to like just when I need it. Um, like being pretty diligent sure. about that. Um, but 
it, it's hard because yeah, if you there's just, a point like I could basically go hunting or fishing, living here. Like even in August, like I went to the coast and caught redfish. Like you can go to the coast. It's hot here, but you get the wind down the coast. It doesn't feel as hot. Yeah, and. Like I, I could realistically like hunt or fish basically anytime I, I want living here. Yeah, think, it's like there's the, no moral of the story for Texas is there is not a golf season. Mm-hmm. No, in, in all actuality, you can choose a perfect time where you're like, I know this time of year I'm busy and I don't have time to do it, and so I usually end up doing other things. But here, yeah, you could fish 365 days a year here. You can hunt or hunt hogs 365 days a year. Right, you can mm-hmm. hunt axis 365 days a year. Like there's like you said, there is no off season, true off season. Like there's, we all have personal off seasons. Like Tom is like, I know, like I'm just going to be burnt out by that time. Yeah, mm-hmm. your off season is the activity that you do that you're just ever so slightly <laughs> less passionate about. Right. Mm-hmm. Like hunting seasons, your off season probably Landon, except for you're trying to learn. Zach's yours probably is too. Mine is more the fishing season. Ian's is mm-hmm. more of whatever he said. And you know, since I used to do like a lot of like group trips too, I would do a lot more like instead of like off season, like more like trip prepping. Mm-hmm. So like you know, you do a big trip. You know, I want to make sure my cast is good. I want to tie flies for the trip. I need to make sure like all these things are lined out. So it's less of an off season thing and like more of a preseason. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of had like a lot of preseason mentality because I'd have like three big trips a year. So like when one's over, preseason for the next trip. Yeah, but that's slowing down now with the new job. Yeah. But, well, we're at time, guys. Um, Ian, do you have any closing words of wisdom? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't don't put on helmets. Um. <laughs> Don't stick I your finger this, in the holes just, in the trauma chair. Just, uh, uh, actually, I do have closing words of wisdom. Okay. Benchmade, if you could sponsor us, that would be awesome. <laughs> That's it. That would be nice. That would be nice. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. Yeah. And we'll see we you next will week. see you next week. Ha <laughs> ha